Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, aphorism for July 3. Be loyal to your principles, but never demand that anyone else share them. Excuse me, I, I didn't... Anyone. Let me just do that again. I'm trying to not use my glasses, just because it's a nuisance. It's right on the cusp of whether I can read it or not. Okay. Living Wisely, Living Well, aphorism for July 3rd. Be loyal to your principles, but never demand that anyone share them. Respect others' right to seek truth in their own way and at their own pace. Wow, that is not so easy. Respect others' right to seek truth in their own way at their own pace. You know, And it's not always from bad motive that we try to bully people into our point of view, um, but it's not a very good idea. People don't like to be bullied. I used to bully myself a lot, so as a consequence I tried to bully everyone else until you sort of, you sort of come to realize, let me see how to say this exactly, there's a stage of personal happiness where you feel that you need your environment to be a certain way before you yourself can be at peace. There's a a complicated spiritual explanation of the caste system, which I recognize is a a big subject, much bigger than I can do for in a little tiny aphorism here. But the truth of the caste system, which in India, which they're, they're striving mightily to overcome, but has been a source of hereditary oppression, actually came from a much higher age when it was simply the definition of the progress of spiritual understanding. So there's four casts, basically, and the second one is the stage of, of understanding where happiness comes from and what, what you avoid suffering is that you get the whole environment around you to behave as you want them to behave, and that's what keeps you from suffering. You, you advance from that to the understanding that, golly, that doesn't work very well. The whole world will just keeps insisting on doing its own thing, Maybe I have to think this out a little deeper. And we begin to realize that the actual uh, place uh, for transformation is that we begin to transform our own consciousness. And we are at peace in our own consciousness. And then we are able to accept God's creation as God made it instead of always trying to make it after our own selves. So respecting others' rights to to grow at their own pace and in their own way and realizing that we simply cannot make people be as we think they ought to be is a gradual growing in in spiritual and personal maturity. Um, it's frustrating because often I remember I w- uh, there was a situation I, it was I was in it where I really wanted someone to amend their behavior in a way that I thought would be better for them. And do not ask me how Swami Kriyananda got involved in that discussion. But somewhere or another, he got involved in it. And 
I remember justifying myself by saying to him, well, Swami, don't you think it would be better if that person did what I'm suggesting? And Swami, who was masterful at working with me, (laughs) said, yes, actually, I agree with you. I think it would be very helpful if they would accept it. But then he looked at me and said, but they have to see that for themselves. They have to want to make that change. They can't make it just because you want them to make that change. One, because that doesn't work. If, if a person merely assumes a behavior because someone else is imposing it upon them, when they get a chance, they will just repudiate it, whether it's in this lifetime or another lifetime, or they will justifiably repudiate you because they will intuit, even if they can't articulate it, that you were not actually thinking of their welfare, you were thinking of your discomfort with their behavior. And that nobody likes that. And people don't respond well to that. So even if your motive, even if your intention is really good, if what you're actually doing is disrespecting a person's right to learn at their own pace. It's very subtle and it's much more difficult than just bullying people. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this that I had to learn that about myself. I had to learn to respect my right to grow at my own pace. I, 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 (laughs) I had this very complicated psychology, which, thank God, I don't think I have as much as I did in, my, in the folly of my youth. But nonetheless, I always thought that there were two ashes, basically. There was this sort of semi-competent klutz that was just always doing unbelievably dumb things. And then there was this other perfect, absolutely perfect version of myself that the klutz had somehow locked in the closet. So if I just kept pounding on the klutz, finally she would say, ha ha, big joke, and she would again open the closet, and then out would would come the perfect me. Now, I hope you can follow all that. It's a little convoluted, but that was it. That was what I, in retrospect, that's what I figured out. And then there was one really impressive day. (laughs) It was both liberating and absolutely crushing when I realized that there was only one, and she was the klutz. (laughs) There really was no perfect version of me. And it didn't matter how much I condemned or lamented or buried myself in guilt, or as Swami said, pour dust on my own head. Then he added, which causes you to be preoccupied only with dust and your own head. I, I I simply could not be better than I was. And there you have it. And later, I came up with an image that has been so powerful for me that I've repeated it endlessly. Um, I have a few fruit trees around the place where I live, and I particularly like apples, and there was a little apple tree, and uh, I um, I like to cook. And I, I I like to make food, is what I would say. I'm not a gourmet, and as the years have passed, I've become simpler and simpler, but I I like to handle food, cutting open an apple. And I appreciate that you cut open the apple, and there's the little core part, Then there's little tiny seeds in there. And I can see from my kitchen, I can see the apple tree. And I would look at the seed, I would look at the apple tree. Incredible. You know, from that seed, there could be an apple tree. Just amazing. I mean, there's a, a thousand 
fascinating lessons about life force and divine patterns and so many things. But then I would look at that seed and think, my, it's a long journey from being a seed to being an apple tree. And I could, I'm not a farmer. I've never, I've never grown food. Really, I've never dealt with that. When, in the early years of Ananda, when you came in, um, you could either build buildings and do sort of all that kind of work. You could grow food or you could cook food. I went into the cooking food, so I never was in the growing food. A lot of my peers learned to grow it. I learned to cook it. But in any case, um, but I had to think of all that that apple seed would have to go through. It would have to be sprouted. And I, I've, I've made bean sprouts, so I know how that works. This little tiny sprout would come out, and that little sprout could get bigger, and then it would get sort of legs on it. You know, just the whole story could happen. You all can at least imagine. We've all seen animated time-lapse photography of plants coming out of the ground in cartoons. And so we have a picture in our mind. Now, there's no way at any point that I could say when it's just a little sprout, I'm tired of you being a sprout. You know, become a sapling. You know, I can yell at that seed as much as I want that you ought to be a sapling. And there's no possible way that seed could skip one stage and still end up being an apple tree. So like, what's the difference? You know, this is God-realization. We're trying to grow from a jiva, an individual soul, that has been in delusion and is coming out of delusion. I could tell it as often as I like that it ought to be more advanced than it is, but it can't be. It's just a logical impossibility. Um, it's the same way as when you have a child. The child is six, and you have to evaluate that child in terms of it being six. If you're really upset with that child because it ought to be 12, um, first of all, it's very bad parenting, and it's also you're going to be constantly disappointed. In one of our group houses, there was a, a little boy, and he must have been three or four. I don't know exactly what age it is when you're, they're old enough to handle their own cups and so on and spoons and forks. I've never raised children, so I don't know. But they're not always, they don't always know where their hands are. So accidents, lots of accidents happen. And so the, there was a couple there and they had a little boy. And when, when the boy was in the knocking over his cup of milk stage at pretty much every dinner, and the father sometimes became a little impatient because there it was again, you know, all over the table, all over his food, whatever it was. So the little boy knocked over his cup and the father wasn't able to be entirely patient. And then the little boy looked at his daddy and said, when you were the little boy and I was the daddy, I never yelled at you. <laughs> and the father went, oh dear, oh my. And I think it was because often children, especially before the age of six, they, they, they're not entirely committed to this body and they're often living in multiple incarnations at once. It has been said, and I think there's truth in it, when like a little child... Well, I remember I took ballet lessons when I was six. I, maybe I started five or six. I didn't... I'm not a trained ballerina. It was just something my mother put me into and I loved. And I, uh, I really enjoyed it, and I particularly remember one recital where I had this pink tutu and there was silver ribbon on the edge of the tutu and I had curly hair. My mother didn't have curly hair, so she always really liked my curly hair. So I had this curly hair and we had a big silver ribbon in my hair. And I just remember I was magnificent. That's the only thing I can think of. I was so good and I was so beautiful. <laughs> and then 
<laughs> then I saw a picture. <laughs> you know, I had my arms out. You know, I just, I just looked like a little apple tree. I did not look like a ballerina. But in my mind, I was magnificent. And as an adult person, when I learned about reincarnation, I, I honestly have to say, I have a lot of dance in my past lives. I know that I do. I just, I feel it. And I think there was a time when I was magnificent. <laughs> and I remembered it. So a lot of times when the children are doing things like that, it's completely different for them. They really do know. The other one I remember is I was like four. And my, the, woman, the girl next door, her name was Joni, but for reasons unknown we called her Wivels. Wivels and I were best friends. And, uh, and we, we, we did sculpture one day. And I made three balls, because I was four years old. I made three balls and I stacked them on top of each other, like a triple snow cone or something. Mud. We made mud. And we and I like this. And I wanted my mother to put that in the oven. I wanted her to make it permanent. And she wouldn't. And I was so upset because this was my art. And it was extremely important that we cast it or fire it or do something with it. Like I was four. I don't remember a whole lot about being four, but that was so vivid to me because it was, for me, I was somewhere else. I was in a whole other lifetime doing something else when it was important to preserve my art, or at least it was important to me, and it may have actually been important. Maybe I, given my temperament, I suspect whatever I was interested in, I applied myself to. I've never done anything. That is my 100% of my experience with clay. (laughs) But it was exceedingly real to me. So you see, everybody's karma is really complicated. And, And we're all on these extremely unusual trajectories. And you have to be a master, honestly, to be able to sort out. Even as Swami said to me, yes, of course, it would be very good for him if he could develop those qualities, whatever it is you wanted them to develop. You know, you're not wrong. Your discrimination isn't wrong. Your judgment is really poor in the method you're trying to use, you know, to get your good point across because there's no respect in it. There's no recognition of that person's free will. There's no trying to get inside their consciousness and see it from their point of view. Given who you are, what is what do you see as your own next step? You know, is it a priority for you? What are you trying to work on? Who are you trying to become? That's, I found this absolutely wonderful way of, of helping people, which is, you know, it's, it's always helpful when you're in, in, especially when you're in a sensitive interaction with someone, to ask Divine Mother to help you, to pray to God. But I've also discovered that you can also pray to the higher wisdom of the person you're talking to. And I don't mean that you fall at their feet and cover their feet with yogurt and then, you know, shower them with rose petals and mark them with sandalwood. That's not what I mean. But all of us, we, we behave, our, our, our egoic, limited, this incarnation self is the most obvious one, the physical body that you see. But we are, th- that is the, that's the point of an inverted pyramid, we all have a superconscious dimension, and this little incarnation is being guided from soul wisdom. And whether or not that soul wisdom is integrated with the ego self depends on the degree of self-awareness. But that doesn't mean that the superconscious self isn't absolutely present. 
So the thing to do is to pray to the person. Pray to their higher self. What do you want from me? How can I help you? What is it that you're trying to do? I've had amazing experiences doing that. Sometimes the whole speech that I had worked out and I was ready to give it, I'll, I'll say that prayer and those thoughts will vaporize. Just vaporize, sometimes to the point that it's weeks later before you even remember they were there. They're just plucked right out of your head because they're absolutely useless. And or... The person, and this happened to me, it has happened to me more than once, suddenly the person will ask you the question, the answer to which is your prepared speech. But instead of you imposing it, they suddenly ask for it. Or something completely different, absolutely completely different will occur to you that just never crossed your mind before that moment. And none of this is necessarily like in the moment conscious. Oftentimes it's only later that I realized what happened. But that, you see, that begins from, I recognize that you're on a soul journey, just the way I'm on a soul journey. And I'm deeply sincere to what I believe is the appropriate way for me to live. I'm doing my best, given where I am, from being a seed to an apple tree. And, I, and it is, it is uh, axiom, axiomatic, is that the word? It's absolutely true, by definition, that whoever you are, is exactly who you have to be. Because how could we be anything except what we have to be? This is my, there's the klutz, and then there's the perfect one. No, actually, there isn't. There's only one. And she's both perfect and a klutz. You know, it's just all in there together. Swami's famous remark once was, well, how do you think so-and-so is doing? Oh, I think they're doing extremely well, given who they are. (laughs) And it was so loving and so true. And it encompassed the whole picture. My personal aphorism, my personal mantra has always been two of them I love. If I could have done better, I would have done better. And the second is, it seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) And you know, maybe in retrospect, it wasn't. But it seemed like a good idea at the time. What can I say? And then to give everyone else the same credit. And when you approach people you see with that kind of respect and compassion, much of what we try to accomplish by other means happens automatically. Now, you can't do it with motive, but if you do it with sincerity, the results will be far greater than you could ever have imagined. So, be loyal to your principles, but never demand that anyone share them. Respect others' rights to seek truth in their own way and at their own pace. God bless you. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.